0: Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows.
1: And my name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at No Clutch Nate.
2: And my name is Sean O'Connell. Uh, I'm the managing editor at Cinema Blend, uh, host of the Real Blend podcast, and the author of the book Release the Snyder Cut.
0: Awesome! Well, thank you for joining us Excellent. today to talk about that very book and also a few minutes of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, this is a book I picked up recently, um, you know, in preparation for this podcast. I was reading about the history and stuff like that, and I thought it would be great to have you on to talk about it because there is just a, a wealthy amount of information in this book um, to just kind of not only to to learn more about the behind the scenes, but also just reflecting back on it, like being part of that community and seeing, you know, we're about two and a half years now since the Snyder cut has come out. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it was great. It's great to have you on here. Um Before we get started talking about today's minute, I was hoping you could answer some questions about the book. Sure. Um, the, the biggest one being uh, what was your inspiration for writing the book, because I know you also wrote one for kind of like the cinematic Spider-Man mm-hmm. films and such. Um, what drove you to
2: write this book? <laughs> Honestly, the story of the movement. Um, I had not. I've been covering film, you know, for different uh, for different sites. I've been at Cinema Blend for the longest amount of time. Uh, most recently. But I've never seen anything rally like I've never seen a group of people rally around a film or or a lost film, you know, and and a cause uh, the way that the Snyder Cut community did um, at their best. You know, I mm-hmm. I wanted to cut through a lot of the noise that was surrounding that group um, because there was a ton of different narratives about whether they were, um, you know, bullying people into trying to get what they want and and mm-hmm. a selfish mm-hmm. fan group who was, you know, crying over a version that they didn't get. But if you if you just simply look past the surface of those accusations, there were legitimate reasons why they felt, you know, that the version of Zach's movie deserved to come out. And it wasn't really, we want this. It was more, there's an artist, you know, who was wronged and we want to do what we can mm-hmm. to make sure that his complete version of this highly anticipated movie comes out. I mean, this all happened at the pinnacle of you know this sort of golden age of comic book movies, where Marvel and DC were fighting for supremacy, and Marvel was 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 doing better, you know, and was building towards their Avengers movies, and DC deserved a proper Justice League movie for the first time on screen. And so, to see what they got instead, you know, in the theatrical version that came out, they knew the fans knew instantly it, it was a a slap in the face at Snyder's um, vision. And so I wanted to start digging away at the people who were, who were dedicating their time on social media to get the word out that there's another cut that exists. And then everything that they were doing for AFSP uh, in terms of uh, raising donations, matching donations. I just thought all of that stuff was incredible.
0: Yeah. And, and not just fans of, you know, DC films or even Zack Snyder's films, but also cast and crew member as well voicing out, uh, you know, amongst social media and stuff as well. So there was, you know, this foundation of like, this is about ethics rather than it is, um, I guess greed or, or something that seems negative towards a, a, a particular fan base. Mm-hmm. So it, it just like, I, I think your explanation perfectly, it, uh, it represents how I felt. It, it represents, um, Kind of the motions I made to to contribute to uh, assist in in promoting this release the Snyder Cut movement at the time, um, it was about um, how wrong it felt. You know, not not that Warner Brothers was switching gears and wanted to to appease appease the general audience. I remember thinking like it's okay if you want to change direction, but I think the the route in which they went it. Not only did it hurt the people who were making the movies, but it it just it it just seemed unethical would be the best way to describe it. Well,
2: and one of the things that really tipped me off to the fact that there's more to this story than meets the eye was when I finally got to see the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, which Mm -hmm. to me is an infinitely better version than the one that Zack had to put out. And Zach has since that day talked about how almost all of his directors' cuts he thinks are better, whether it's Watchmen or Sucker Punch, there's a Sucker Punch director's cut that we haven't yet seen. Yeah. And when I saw that ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, and I thought, like it just filled in the gaps of the story that that I thought were kind of missing. And I thought, oh my gosh, like if you give this guy the opportunity to tell the story that he wants to tell, then we're in there's potentially going to be something amazing here. Um, and mm-hmm. so then I started to think like, oh my God, what if he was able to actually put together his full, you know, treatment of a Justice League movie? Because to me, ultimately, as we're watching this, uh the the loop of the of the minute that we're gonna talk about, it's ultimately about seeing these characters that you love in action, you know, and receiving the respect that they deserve. I will never get tired of seeing some interpretation of any of these characters in action. Like now that the flash is on HBO max, like flash has its problems, but I just love watching that beginning, you know, where it's, it's him and Batman. And then wonder woman shows up and like, it's a great action sequence with characters that I love. And I'll just, I'll watch that, uh, you know, just to get pure entertainment out of this. And so to get a four hour cut of, you know, DC's mightiest heroes together on screen for the first time is how do you not fight for that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That really is like the goal, honestly. I mean, Perfect viewer. Uh, prime audience member. I'm right there with you. I I mirror all of those thoughts. I mean, this is really just my heroes. Put them on the screen. I'm going to love it. Um, just like, you know, be real about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like pandering to a particular fan base or people that are, you know, angry or outspoken. It's more so of allowing the storytellers to do what they do. Tell the story. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way that uh Batman v Superman and anything Zack Snyder makes is for a particular uh, culture of of DC fans, but I mean, I wouldn't have suggested that back in 2014 when they were making Batman v Superman, but I love the movie mm-hmm. and I think it's 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 allowing yourself to to fit, you know, to to take in a director's vision. And see how they they interpret it, and and you could you get such a better story out of it, just like you would grab any any new um, you know new creative team on a certain comic book writing Batman and and, t- and changing direction in there as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's just something you, you you have to teach yourself to to welcome. Um, as we as you were you know this this fight for the Snyder Cut before it came out, before it was even confirmed to be coming out on HBO Max on on May twentieth. Um, when you were m- meeting these people, cause I see all these great photographs in the book and stuff. And so when you were seeing this culture, this, this, this movement for the roots, the Snyder Cut, did you feel like this was substantial enough to produce such a result? Or did you find all that this was a futile effort? Um, so
2: right at the time that I was covering them and doing all my research for the book, the movement was probably as unified as I'd seen it. So I think I Mm -hmm. caught them at a really good time. Um, And one of the things that had really, when I saw them rent the billboard in times square, I happened to be up in (laughs) New York to cover New York comic-con. And I looked out and I saw release the Snyder cut, you know, with the quotes that they had on their rotating billboard. And I thought, all right, I gotta figure out who's doing this. Like, who is this yeah, right? dedicated who is this because it takes a money uh the yeah. organization and i thought there's there's way more to this than meets the eye because prior to this and it's hard to sort of remember how prevalent the hashtag release of snyder cut was mm-hmm. prior to it yeah. coming out and and the movement you, I started to find out and it's all sort of documented in the book that there was all this behind the scenes organizations about, we're going to go to San Diego comic-con and we're going to, you know, we're going to have picket signs and we're going to have, you know, merchandise to hand out or something to keep the message going. The story about, you know, renting the plane and flying the banner over uh, the Warner Brothers yeah. studio lots in Burbank. Like who owns that plane? Yeah. <laughs> like you just start to ask They're these still questions doing it like, today. Yeah. It's like, you know, I not I've like again, I've never seen a fan base so dedicated that they would go to such great lengths to keep doing this this type of stuff now, since the movement has kind of fractured um and mm-hmm. yes. there was t- you know a, a chunk of people who were happy that they got the cut that they fought for. There's a chunk of people who wanted Zach to be able, able to continue. Mm-hmm. but I really do think that when I was talking to them, they were the most unified, they had the most power. And and at that time also, it was, it was a, a perfect storm of, of factors that were coming together that made it seem like this was a good time to do it. And one of them was the introduction of HBO Max because the streaming services, in my opinion, really needed content that you couldn't find anywhere else that would lure over a subscriber. And it yes. made so yeah. much sense to me, even though I understood that the executives who needed to do this would have to swallow a lot of crow and basically admit, okay, yes, we're going to let you see this movie that we had been telling you for a, a long time. First, it doesn't exist, which Zach refuted. Um, it's not even that good, you know, which we all know is not true. It's basically the theatrical cut, which isn't, you know, they had to really walk back all of those. And and Hollywood is such an ego-driven industry, you know, that yes, for them yeah. to, to basically swallow their pride and say, yes, we're going to give you... What you've been pestering us for and they have to understand that in a way they're setting a precedent although i think it's a precedent that can't be used on on most any other projects like this is a rare occasion
1: yeah that's the thing
2: (laughs) but it's the it's the industry saying to the fans okay yes you're right and we're going to give you this now that's not like yeah like nathan's saying that's not going to work for everyone. But in this particular case, it worked, and it earned some goodwill, and it allowed Zach and Debbie the opportunity to bring their version to the fans, and it gave HBO Max a boost, you know, in the moment. Now, how much boost it is, who knows? We don't see streaming numbers, you know. It definitely got a boost in the in the court of public opinion. Um, But so, yeah, to answer your question, yes, when I was doing the research for it, I was fairly convinced that it was going to happen someday. I just didn't dream it was going to happen as quickly as it did.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think um, certain cuts. I mean, it's famous film cuts. I mean, Blade Runner Final Cut and stuff like that. Some some versions of a director's vision doesn't release until sometimes twenty five years later, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 for this to come out just within within five years, uh, it, it it was like wow, this I can't believe it. It's you know, pretty jaw dropping. I, I always thought to myself. Like, of course, one day it's going to release. People are like, oh, it's never going to happen. So I was like, don't say never because eventually it'll happen. Maybe I'm 40 years old and it decides to come out. Sure. But to come out that quickly, like within within the pandemic, it was like, oh, wow, this is this is actually happening. And hearing all the rumors like, oh, tune into the Man of Steel watch party on Vero, like everyone, you know, and then you have you know all all other journalists starting to to cryptically tweet like oh it it is happening yeah it's like whoa okay hold on is this really happening so um it was it was quite a moment well and by uh, doing it in that
2: early time frame it has really given zach an opportunity to take that kind of victory lap that he deserved like 25 years from now who knows what could have been right but with the release going to HBO Max, it reaches um, a much larger audience. Not not a global audience. I understand that there were still a lot of people, a lot of places that don't carry HBO Max. They did a press junket. He got to do interviews for it. Um, it mm-hmm. allowed him to shoot the additional nightmare sequence footage, you know, in his driveway, essentially. Um, yeah. And then uh, for people who know the full circle event, it allowed him to show it in true IMAX on a theatrical screen. Um, which is, you know, these are all things that just wouldn't have happened. The more time that goes by, you know, there'd be other Warner brothers, uh, executive teams. There'd be other DC executive teams that would, the further you kept getting from it, the the more that they'd be able to just say like, no, 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 that's the past. We're done. We're moving on kind of thing. So it, it, it all happened at the right time.
0: Yeah. And, and, and for, you know, Zach having to, um, kind of keep to his his family and himself during the time of 2017 and all that um, there was no opportunity for Zach to kind of defend his honor about Justice League at the time and because of the Snyder cut um, he was able to do that mm-hmm. to defend um, his method his his approach to directing and I think now he, we see his deal with Netflix is a result of him sh- you know showing his work with with um, his version of Justice League and having confidence from studios again to continue making films. Mm-hmm. And so now we see that with Rebel Moon being like, this is a company now that that believes in his work and, and believes that he has a strong enough um, audience to bring in like the streaming numbers and whatever imaginary numbers help uh, studios uh, continue going. That's <laughs> got to be the
1: thing that is kind of, I think speaking really loudly in people's ears is is that worm of the boost in in whatever the imaginary number is i really do think that's got to be more of a deciding factor and i don't mean to be rude rather than just saying okay fans here you go it seems like someone really was like now hang on let's think about this and people were like yeah i guess you're right and it's like okay that's good because you know what at the end of the day, money talks, right? I'm not saying that I'm not happy because of it. I am thrilled. I love (laughs) that I got this version and this movie and in the way it happened. Honestly, it was an incredible movement and it was a really cool thing to see. Um, But again, not everything was going to end up like this. And uh, I think we're just I think we're lucky. I mean, look, we're able to talk about it for this long. Mark and I are still going on and on and on <laughs> about it. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. There's a
1: reason why this happened. It was. It's a movement by every definition, I think.
0: Yep. Yes. Um, I do have some more questions for you, Sean, of course, but let's go ahead and talk about today's minute, and then we'll save some for later in the week. Uh, but today we're talking about minute 146. It is week 30, chapter 5, all the king's horses. So we've just started this chapter in the film, and it's going to start with Batman defending his plan to bring to use the mother box to bring Superman back to life. Um, Alfred is pleading with him to not let his guilt overcome reason. Do not do this. Um, but, but Batman is saying, that, you know, this I have to do. Um, and then the minute is going to end with um, kind of uh, Victor and, and Diana loading... Superman's body onto this this truck. Um, it has a bit of like a Terminator theme to it a bit that that was quite interesting. <laughs> so they have their Terminator moment in here. but uh, this whole minute is full of little individual scenes. so there's, there's quite a, a sampler platter of, of characters doing things. Um, most notably, I think it is this casket <laughs> shot where they're loading him, uh, loading Clark's body onto kind of like this hearse van. Um, and, and this, uh, this shot here of, of Diana, Victor, Barry, and Arthur, this was one of those Vero posts that you see Zack Snyder posting all the Vero shots and, and, and confirming that there is a different cut of this movie. Um, and so this was quite an iconic one, especially Gal Gadot wearing this high collar trench coat that we see in this shot. Um, this shot here, it, it really does take advantage of the full four by three frame that was also <laughs> a, kind of a controversial take for some reason. Um, but yeah, this this was quite an iconic moment uh, to to actually see in, in the film.
2: And I, I think a big um, part about this scene is the way that BVS wrote the narrative into a bit of a corner um in that Mm. they killed off superman you know which is a huge huge narrative swing uh for the middle arc of your trilogy so you know at some point they're going to have to deal with bringing him back you know and and until we saw a theatrical cut which at least explains to a certain extent how they tried to do it um you start to wonder like how much of your movie are you going to dedicate to like, when does Clark back, you know, when does Superman return, how do they do it? You know? And, this, and so this is the type of sequence that, that goes through the steps, you know, that goes through the, it's not the really easy detail of he's back, you know, it's more just like this is the team having to work together to pull off something that is truly significant to the third act of the film. Uh
1: Yeah, I agree. And the 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 thing you just described previously of of uh being just like oh, okay yeah he's back quick yada yada that's how i felt watching a theatrical cut mm. and really trying to be okay with that mm-hmm. um because in my mind yes bvs and and dawn of justice they they killed off superman but when you do that in my mind, that switch gets flipped where it's death and return, so mm-hmm. it's like okay, that's the that that's the road you're going, okay, good so then you obviously go to what are the steps to go through it <laughs> You are correct in this with like, okay, here, let me show you the steps we go through it. Um, it may take a little bit longer than you're used to, but right. Hey, we have to do this. That same exact thing happened in the comic book. Um, uh, uh, take that statement with a grain of salt, but <laughs> like it or not, it did. Um, yeah. <laughs> it could, did it go on a little bit longer? Probably. Was there something where they were like, I don't think we know what we're doing. Probably. But hey, it played out in the end, and it worked, Um, and everybody was okay with it, Um, and then ramification and storytelling ensued, you know? So hey, yeah. great. Um, But you're absolutely right where that is a major thing to do, a death and return of a Superman, because it involves so much, and you kind of would be able to see a roadmap of Okay, if this is we're, we're talking theatrical movie releases, you would want that to be in separate parts or at least have an idea of it being in multiple stories. Um, mm-hmm. so yes, but then when the theatrical version came out, I felt like as watching that was like something is rushed. You either freaked out and like was like, "Ah, we don't want to tell that story anymore, so let's just get them back and kind of get back to what we were doing." It's like, "Okay, I get that, but
0: we we've What are you doing? Li- we've talked a a little bit. We've talked a lot about uh, how the 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 writing changes. Uh, you know, Joss Whedon taking over and, and kind of rewriting some of the scenes. It changes the direction or even the reason why certain characters are doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the resurrection of Superman in the 2017 version seems like. We, we need to use this mother box, bring Superman back to life so that he can fight Steppenwolf and save the world because we cannot do it, even though that was the whole point of bringing you all together. Um, in this one, and it, it's another testament to why a lot of people, they say this, this four-hour film flies by and makes so much more sense. A lot of people had their doubts about it being a four-hour film, but not only does it highly supplement Victor Stone, Cyborg's character... But everyone is going on an emotional journey to getting to this point where Superman's back to life. The reason that they're choosing to bring Superman back to life is that and that's because it, it takes its time to sit with Lois and, and Bruce and and dwell on their depression, um, their maybe their guilt. And so they come to this realization that says we can do this because i want him back i want him back not i yeah. need him back to fight um, yes giant alien i just need him back because i miss him selfish and so, <laughs> and you're
1: like, yeah you're <laughs> right you're absolutely Batman. right <laughs> yeah. you were taking notes back in the 80s you're right like yeah
2: <laughs> well but even if so. and if people are watching along and i'd highly recommend that you watch along while you're listening to this podcast um, and you're paused at the scene where uh, we talked uh, talked about the framing of the the four Justice League members as they're looking in on the casket. If you just pay attention to facial reactions, you see how differently and how conflicted each of the members are about this decision. They're not on board with this yet <laughs> and and mm-hmm. in Zach's cut, they're not on board with it until, you know, right through the, the act of bringing him back, there's that yeah. ripple, you know, that's added that that gives it such a, a more interesting turn of they don't know if this is the right idea this entire time. And you can see it in the performances of the of the actors playing the Justice League members in this. And I think it adds so much more weight to what they're doing
1: it really yeah. does thank you yeah. so much for pointing that out we uh, sometimes we like to think that we're the only nerds that see this kind of thing um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right um yes. every choice here visually i think is just you know so so on purpose um that it is really uh, this is heavy doc and it's supposed to be um this yeah. is heavy for me personally seeing Uh, the members of my Justice League who I grew up with and and know these characters looking upon the casket of a Superman um, which is something that I haven't seen um, ever other than this and it's like oh you're absolutely
2: right well Um, and it's something as simple as you could have shot this this is framed this way for a specific reason in in another instance, you might have had a situation where the, the Justice League members are loading the casket into the van, and two of them are inside the van to sort of capture the casket as it's coming, which then suggests that they are sort of in on the, in on the mission. Here, they are still outside of the truck. They don't even want to get into the same truck that they're putting the casket into. Uh-huh. And, and right. treating them as outsiders to this mission that they have signed up for visually is saying... They're not on board with this. And I, I think that that's a brilliant choice by them.
0: Yes, of course. I mean, they're. we also talked last week a little bit about them even digging him up in the first place. You know, taking their time, not using super abilities, saying that they could do this in a nanosecond and choosing not to. Um, it, it shows the the respect that they have, but also the they feel like it's disrespectful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we doing this? I mean, this feels wrong. Um, Are we doing the right thing? So there's this constant questioning of, you know, whether what they're doing is right or not. So, and I enjoy that. I enjoy heroes having that, that um, kind of uh, internal conflict in themselves, um, questioning their, their ethics. Um, but again, yes, it's not something we see in Superman's uh, return in certain stories. A lot of times, it's already happened at the Fortress of Solitude. Maybe there's other Supermen involved, yada yada. But um, this is this is one where they take ownership of the rebirth of Superman. They mm-hmm. don't just—it's um, not like Steppenwolf himself activated the Mother Box and brought this Kryptonian back to life to to serve Darkseid or anything like that. Yeah, um, they. Shh. Chose to do this. They chose to make the Justice League carry this weight, uh, literally and 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 emotionally. So, th- just that direction alone, with the that you know the wonderful writing by Chris Terrio, it really does create an emotional weight to it that deserves the runtime that it has to fully explore um, this journey that the Justice League goes on. Um, also so.
1: highlighting just the theme throughout. Man of Steel, Dawn of Justice, and this—the the theme of choice is something yes. that you and I have been talking about for God knows they how long years. To do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, kind of full circle, wrapping it all up. It's uh, again, it's these characters having choices mm-hmm. and choosing what to do. Um, big, big, big deal. Big deal here.
0: So we're gonna move over back to Star Labs. This is kind of gonna set the stage for the upcoming week. This set of minutes that we have as we will be going to Star Labs with Clark's body. Um we're gonna start here with Joe Morton playing Dr. Silas Stone. Um and in comes another Star Labs employee. This one is um helping all the Star Labs that were in the Metropolis project. Um they had contact with all the parademons and Steppenwolf. So they are being tested for um I guess like xenoparasites of some sort. So alien uh, microbes. <laughs> alien, alien microbes if you will. Um <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, Star, Lab, uh, Star Labs investigates themselves and finds negative uh, uh, evidence of, of, of any of these alien microbes. So, good on them. Um, and uh, yeah, this is um, this scientist that comes in. This is actually Mark Arnold. Um, if you've seen Blade Runner 2049, this is the voice of the interviewer that uh, interviews Ryan Gosling about within cells interlinked. So, this is the wow. voice. Of that person, oh, so I off had baseline. no idea. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Um, so this is his, uh, is I think his only moment in the film, rather. So yeah, this is. Um, I was wondering at first if this was, um, because we talked earlier in the film, Nate, if this was U.S. Northcom or if this was, um, uh, the oh, Air Force. Yeah, yeah,
1: they were the two suit. They were the suits that showed up at, yeah, the, the, okay I, in the red room. Yeah, okay, yeah.
0: Uh, I can't I can't exactly remember, but it's the internal Air Force um, committee that that was talking about the mother box. Um, It's not that this is actually Star Labs. They've set up their own quarantine zone within themselves to make sure that all their employees are safe. So they're the best ones who can handle this kind of contact with aliens. So they said we've prepared for this moment (laughs) and we can we can quarantine each other. Um, So, yeah, they're all good. Doctor Silas gets the gets the green light, and then he he walks out. So. I
1: gotta say one thing, and it's just like this is awesome. the The way that we're looking at this guy's um his little uh, quarantine suit, hazmat suit, whatever we're calling it, the way that they flared the zipper up to like <laughs> make it still look like a coat like the same trench coat that he was wearing previously but it's now just like orange and then in that style that's awesome that's like (laughs) you look like a cartoon character and it is so right that like oh yeah you were wearing a trench
2: coat before and now you're still in a trench coat but it's but
1: it's a hazmat suit it's like yeah that,
2: that makes sense
0: also, so good. good.
2: this isn't the scene where it happens, but I, I do love the line um when he's like, these are the protocols you have to follow. And he's like, I know I wrote those protocols. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <yep. laughs> Such a great line.
0: Yeah. Um, Joe Morton I mean, absolutely kills it in this entire movie. We were talking, um, we have recorded some other scenes about um, him in Star Labs when he has the mother box and everything. Um, but we've talked about how he kind of taps into his, his role as a scientist in almost all his movies, uh, major blockbuster movies that he does. He, you know, he's kind of, he's capitalized on this role here.
1: <laughs> if that's not a great, like, if you want to call it character actor trait, then, you know, if you could be called to be like, Hey, we need real smart, like truthful, real, believable scientist guy. I mean, let the phone ring off the hook for me. Come absolutely,
2: come on, yeah, that's a good role to fill. Whenever, yeah, you yeah, right. It.
0: Um, here's something we see in in this minute that is uh, nice to see, which is uh, a bit of humor in the film. I know this. What? Another...
1: Yeah, Josh, Thank you for having that reaction. Please, Stop. I cannot. <laughs> I want to <laughs> applaud you. Like we'll add in
2: applause. <laughs> Maybe. I was so glad oh, when nice you guys chose it. this minute and I watched it and it had this interaction between Barry and and Arthur because for all of the criticism leveled at Zach, you know, for for not having the light punchy, you know, Marvel approach, Zach is really funny and and it's just he has a a drier sense of humor, you know, that fits well with his characters and maybe it's not, you know, huge laugh out loud uh moments but these character it's everything's rooted in character you know it's Mm -hmm. it's Arthur being impatient with Barry it's Barry really being excited about being part of a mission kind of thing to the point where he you know wants to dress the part and and pull it off as best as he can when yet again we're talking about a guy who could be moving at the speed of light you know to, to zoom in and do what they want to do but Zach has such a fascination with that Dirty Dozen type of mentality, uh, and a team coming together to to pull off a mission, and and I love the fact that when we get plenty of opportunities of the Justice League at their full power, you know, uh, fighting off something that's that's significantly um, more powerful than than they might not be if they weren't a team together. But I love that Zach gives them a boots on the ground, you know, type. You got to do something. And and it's and it does utilize their powers. You see Victor, you know, tap into the system and get Barry through through the gate. But it's uh, it's the Justice League figuring out how to work together as a team without leaning on their powers. And it's it's significant to the formation of the team.
0: Yes. And and I really love Jason Momoa. You know, we all know him as like this lovable kind of lumberjack of a, a uh, internet figure now, especially with Aquaman and Aquaman Two coming out, like he has humor that fits his personality in real life now more often. But here we, he, you know, this is the the Arthur Curry that we saw in Batman v Superman and and told like Jason Momoa is playing Aquaman and like being this whole trans transformative portrayal of the character. And so to see Jason Momoa still tied to like the Caldrogo roots in this film, mm-hmm. but also being able to um, deliver humor in that way is is that step forward. It's like, yeah, Jason Momoa still being like the stoic, like, I don't want to be part of this. Like, I think this is wrong. But then being like, let me see A again. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like that that kind of humor that's written for him, it works with the character he's portraying. It works with like the vision that Zack Snyder has for the character. Mm-hmm. And then it just has it has a nice laugh because it's like, He kind of does care about Barry in a sense, like, I do kind of care what hat you have because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Let me tell you, this was, um, thinking back to when we watched this, this was the humor beat that stuck in my mind. This was my takeaway of funny from this movie. I know that there is other parts sprinkled around all over the place, and those are very welcome, but this was the joke that i was like that hit i related to that 100% more than you guys would ever know
0: <laughs> um
1: and it was so wonderful for me to see this here um you're absolutely right both of you it fits with their characters so very well um and even just with their outside actor personality as mm-hmm. well um i think it fits well with both The age of Ezra Miller and talking to Jason Momoa here um, in the same sense of (laughs) if you want to have two thespians put on and actually in a wardrobe setting being like, okay, what looks better? Like, (laughs) let's be real here. And it's like, uh, all right, well, let me see again. Like it is the fact that (laughs) Aquaman is taking that extra moment to. Do the clothes changing montage of like, hang on, like, go back. I need to I need to see it. Um, Also, this is the type of Aquaman that we get. His social cues come from mostly what chatting with people in a bar setting. Mm -hmm. So like the whole like, let me try on your coat or whatever kind of idea of jokey pal camaraderie is very present there. So it just seems so natural for him to be the one that uh barry allen is looking to like for confidence with this like Mm -hmm. choice one because you're extremely stylish right now we're on a very similar wavelength (laughs) of like how we came about this team um you know i can i can see through the mask if you will you know you're not the batman and you're not Wonder Woman, a uh, you know thousand year old goddess who I am extremely intimidated by. I think if it wasn't talking with Victor, this is like the guy that you would want to ask for a fashion sense, right yeah, the, I the mean rock star <laughs> It just is so perfect for the two of them that I loved this um walking out of you know w- walking away from our couch after seeing this was just like that was. Mm-hmm. That was what I wanted. That's exactly what was supposed to happen. That's humor. That's not like in-your-face dumb slapstick, whatever comic book slapstick we're going with nowadays. You know, that was a very good just dialogue humor beat.
2: Yeah, Zach, um, doesn't, yeah. Zach and Terrio don't do setup, setup punchline. Right. That, that is and it's, not their approach.
1: You, yeah. And 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 it just you know sometimes it just doesn't work, and sometimes it's like okay. That's it,
0: but here... It it was surprising how many in the 2017 version finally seeing this version of the movie, um, there are some bits of humor in that original version that are in this that that you go, oh, wait, that is Zack, you know? I mean, things with with Barry fighting uh, Clark Kent in in Heroes Park, you know, the speedster moments, there's a lot to it that you're just like, oh, wait, this... This is Zach. Zach did kind of like some of this this humor here, and and those parts that people enjoyed, it's it's a bit like, oh, it, it is actually Zach who who's working on this, or Zach and and Chris Terrio. Um, and then this is a relationship we'll see further on, right? Like Barry and and, and Aquaman, they will um they have another kind of humor bit at Heroes Park later that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. So this this continues. I mean they. There is that Barry and Victor, like, we're the two youngest ones on this team. Like, we're not used to being superheroes. These people have been superheroes for a long time now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there is, like, Barry being, like, I'm 100%, like, I'm 200% into this team right now. Yeah. Jason being, I'm 0% into this team right now. And then towards uh, towards chapter six, something darker, you hear Jason Moa saying, like, is that, or Arthur Curry saying, "Yeah, I never said I didn't care." Yeah, yeah. Um, And it, it's actually that he cares a lot. That's why he's so defensive because he cares very much about the planet. So they do agree on something. They just have different ways of of showing it. So yeah. it's a bit of the extrovert meets the introvert here. Mm, yeah, so. <laughs> I also felt extremely relatable because uh, hat choices
1: is something that I would one hundred percent need a second opinion on if I was trying to play this role of uh, you know, all right, sn- he- sneaky, sneaky buy.
2: He chooses the beret, and I think that that's the wrong choice do you
0: i i, I see him hat b I
2: was, <laughs> i'm I'm an a guy i like more military fatigue so
1: i I think it would probably be more like like real and fitting if he was doing the regular fatigue hat right right i mean but I don't well, know what the rank is i don't know
2: little French foreign legion for me <laughs> the way he's going with the but it works yeah you can see i guess.
0: Uh, I'm like thinking like, I see maybe brave for him, but like maybe I would choose it as well. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. I think it d- depends on like your own personal preference, but also for for Barry, it somehow fits his uh his hairstyle. His, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I wonder like maybe they. Maybe they did film the scene twice, like one, one, one with the, <laughs> the cap on and one with the braid, just to see, like, okay, now which one does look better? I yeah. would. Yeah. So
2: that's true. Um, they probably had a conversation like that. And then they were like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if Arthur did this
0: <laughs> yeah, standing outside? It actually make it part of the conversation. So, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, and then, yes, of course, at the end of the minute, we do see um, Victor and Diana loading. Clark's, uh, body onto the, the kind of convoy truck here, um, the Oshkosh truck, if you will. And, uh, a very cool shot here, just as the kind of forklift or not forklift, the lift, uh, lift. <laughs> just the lift as it comes down, you see this really cool pose. I mean, very, very snack Zack Snyder, where they're saying, you know, like just stand there really cool. The lift's going to come down once it hits then you're just going to slide the casket in and then we'll cut right there. That's that's all we have for it. Um, and so it's just a really cool power pose by both uh, Ray Fisher and Gal Gadot for for this shot here.
1: Now they're loading it off of like the Batman like C-17 or whatever the heck he had. Right. The big the big plane that he was using from like Iceland back to Gotham like that one. Right. The oh, one that he yeah. took he got to bury. That's his yeah. let me pop between states. plane (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah okay
0: yeah i i forget what the name of the the plane was exactly i know like the helicopter was called quicksilver which was like a slight nod to marvel's speedster um (laughs) but uh yeah this is the big plane that he he loads his uh mercedes in when he picks up barry and then they come they come off so it's the same plane they just have same lift yeah same lift so that's that's probably what it is right like they they had the same stage set up and this yeah, is, well, we'll use it for two shots one lowering the the car and then we'll do the same thing we'll have uh ray fisher and gal gadot and then they'll we'll take the casket do the yeah. same shot good investment
1: uh, on that yeah. lift bruce honestly <laughs> i mean i wonder if alfred was like
2: you don't need you don't need all that he's a alfred
1: come you on never man. know
2: you never know <laughs> when i'm gonna be loading superman's casket into a yeah. military vehicle that's or so, it's like,
1: or he's just trying to do it because he's trying to use the lift all the time now. He's just like, Alfred's gonna tell me, so I never needed this lift. It's, every time he gets off the plane, it's like I gotta use the lift.
2: <laughs> no, I wanna, I, no stairs. I want to deeply uh, again admire the use of the you know simple wood casket for yeah, for oh, Clark. Yeah. Um, yeah, Great throwback to the end of BVS, and you know that that terrific line at the end of BVS about you know one one being the ceremonial you know casket that the the world is using to bury him but then you know this is this is his family casket this is where yeah where he actually is buried i i think that's just really beautiful i got chills seeing that 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 really simple boxes
0: it's so modest right like it perfectly represents clark kent not superman you know with like the very ornate kind of enamel black casket with the Mm -hmm. silver s on it that everyone wanted to see like this casket best represents Clark Kent because of how humble and modest he is about, about who he
2: is. Well, it's a, it's a um, Indiana Jones throwback, you know, the, the the cup of the cup of a King, you know, or or this is the carpenter. This is the cup that a carpenter's son would, would use, you know, it's, uh, it's the humbleness of a, and believe me, there's more than enough Christ-like imagery, uh, you know, for Superman (laughs) and and Zach's movies. So uh, maybe this is just another one.
0: Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even Superman, death of Superman in the the second film and and now about to come to life in this one. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty of it. So um, and speaking, we're talking, you know, this lift and being used for multiple shots within a set, multiple scenes. Um, I do have some more questions for you, Sean, um, regarding. The, the kind of like the filmmaking process of this film, but mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and save it for tomorrow. But unless there's any other notes, Sean, do you have anything else for this one?
2: Not yet. It's it's a bit of setup, you know, the, these are mm-hmm. required scenes that, that will get us to some other big story points. Um, and it's a, it's again, the idea of not rushing the process, you know, and, and that true fans want to see all of these steps. Um and again, I just love that it refutes the Zach's movies aren't funny because the terrific point of this of this minute that we've discussed.
0: Absolutely. Very well said. All right. We're going to wrap up for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really does help the show and helps new listeners discover our show as well. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can chat with us on Twitter at DCEU Minutes. And if you'd like to hear more bonus content, We also have a Patreon for just $3 with tons of other podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one here on DC Cinematic Minute.